many of our pastors and leaders of our family life churches in Nepal and India. And so this morning, I just want to kind of give you a family life missions update. I'm going to show you some pictures uh, of some of the conferences and some of the things we did. And uh, every time I travel abroad, I, I always take time to reflect on my personal life with the Lord and in the church and just see what the Holy Spirit is telling me, uh, you know, regarding some things that I need to need to address. But basically about 19 years ago, God called my family and I to, to move here and, and, and to start this church. And to be quite honest, it, it, it was a very uh, modest and, and humble beginnings. Uh, we started the church with, with two people in my home. And as a matter of fact, in the beginning, we had more kids than adults. I, I don't know what the deal is. Kids like me, you know. Adult, adults, they don't, they're undecided, but kids like me. And so we had a bunch of kids, and, you know, through a series of events, we started renting buildings, and we set up and tore down buildings for seven years before God gave us this land, and we built the building over there. And we built the building over there. We had about 80 people in the church, and, and over, over the course of, uh, of about eight years, we went to double services, and God blessed us with this building. And I believe God gave us, you know, uh, I don't believe God gives churches and ministries facilities for show. I believe he gives us facilities to fill up. I believe he gives us facilities uh, to do things to build the, the kingdom of God. But God had given, a, given us a vision before Tracy and I started the church. We spent time fasting and praying. And the, the, one of the things that he gave us was that we were going to minister to many families, that hundreds of families and relationships were going to be restored, and uh, that we're going to have a multicultural church. And, you know, in the beginning, I didn't really know what that meant. What I, what I assumed, uh, what I assumed was that, you know, Houston is such a diverse area. Uh, several years ago, it was, it was labeled as the, the most diverse city uh, in America. They, they said that it's more diverse even than New York, which, which was really astounding. But regardless of that, you know, when God gives you a vision for something, he doesn't show you every step of the way. He shows you the beginning, and he gives you a call and a work to do. But here's, what, here's what's interesting. Many people never get to this. When, when you're faithful and start working step by step to fulfill something God has given you to do, he enlarges the vision. He makes the vision larger, and he shows, he shows, it, shows you things that you really previously, uh, you know, did not, did not know. And, you know, so I thought, you know, okay, we're going to be a diverse church because, gosh, in Houston we have Nigerians, we have Hispanic people from all over Latin America, we have, you know, people from all over Asia. We, I mean, we have everyone. So I, the thought for me was that we'll have people from many nations, you know, attending our church. And, and, and that's, that's true. And, uh, you know, since we started 19 years ago, we, we have had the privilege of starting more than 200 churches around the world. I, I just want to tell you something, you know, sometimes people, people look at a church and it's like, well, your church isn't huge. Well, you know what? You don't have to be a huge church to, to, to do huge things. I know a lot of big churches, and I don't know uh, what they're doing around the world, but, you know, we have started over 200 churches. We started churches in Costa Rica. We started churches in Honduras. We started churches in India and in Nepal. We started churches in, in Mexico. Uh, we, we started churches all over. And, uh, and then through a series of miraculous events, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about today, we actually have 198 churches, 198 family life churches uh, in India and Nepal. 
and if you, if you know that, Pastor Joseph comes here. He's basically our pastor in Nepal and India. And through a series of events, he asked if he could come under our, our leadership. He says that I'm his pastor, which is humbling. I think he ought to be mine. But, uh, but anyway, and, and, and so they changed the name of their ministry. And so, you know, right now in India and Nepal, there's 198 churches. There's addiction rehabilitation centers. There's an orphanage with 300 kids that have been saved out of sex trafficking. There's a Bible college. Uh, so, you know, the, basically what I thought the Lord wanted to bring here, what I've discovered is that the Lord wanted to take us around the world. Amen? And so it's, 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 it's an amazing, amazing story. But let me give you a little bit of a story. About eight years ago, I had a d- divine appointment with a lady named Suja Jost, and Pastor Joseph's wife, came here to visit the church, and to be honest, I didn't really talk to her much because she doesn't speak any English. So we had an interpreter, and I didn't think much about it. I met her, and so two months later, I received a letter from her husband, Pastor Jost, from India, asking me to come to their Bible college graduation, and I didn't know who he was, and so I pull out the globe, and I'm looking at where they are. They're in northern India. I said, man, they are out in the middle of nowhere. And so uh, I went home that day, and I said, I told Tracy, hey, you know, God, you know, the Pastor Joe sent me an invitation to come, you know, do, be their speaker at their Bible college graduation. And she's like, are you going to go? And I said, I have no desire to go. I have no desire to go. And uh, so after I said that, I didn't sleep for three nights. And so, you know, I'm kind of slow, but I got the hint. I'm like, Lord, would you like me to go? He said, I would. And so I got on a plane and went to India. You know, it takes, the way that the route goes, it takes 40 hours to get to where they are. And uh, when we got in the airport, actually, Peter Hudson and Ed Burns went with me. And when we walked in the airport, there's Pastor Jost. And he came up and gave me a big hug and started crying. And I said, Pastor, what's going on? He said, uh, well, I've been working in India and Nepal for 18 years. And we're, we're, we're reaching poor people in the mountains and and we're reaching very impoverished people. And, you know, I have no resources to do this ministry. And basically, I've had to beg people and cry out to God for so many years. And he said, 17 years ago, God gave me a vision. And the vision was he was at a river fishing, catching fish. And all of a sudden, three white men came there and started helping him catch fish. And so the day, the crazy thing is, is when I... When I went, I did not know how many people were going. If I could get anyone to go, and it happened to be three white people. And a uh, fulfillment of his vision. Even his wife told him, Jost, have you ever seen any white people out here? How do you think God's going to get three of them out here? Well, how many you know that's not big for God? He can get people, he can get people anywhere. And so um, when, I, when, I, when I went, you know, I, I started looking around, and I saw what they were doing, and he said, you know, my, my number one goal is that I want to be self-sufficient because I hate begging people for money, and these people just don't have any money. And there's a lot of ministries in the cities, but there's not many up in the mountains and the rural areas. I mean, I mean, I'll show you some videos in a little bit, but I mean, where they are, I'm sure we're the first white people that they had seen, but I mean, we're talking about, we're not, ta- we're, we're talking about no electricity, no running water. I mean, we're talking about way out there, you know, off, off the grid, so to speak. And, 
So anyway, we, we were talking. I'm like, well, what's your plan? See, I like that when a missionary tells me they want to be self-sufficient. Because a lot of people, come on, we live in an entitled country, and there's a lot of entitled people around the world that they don't want to be self-sufficient. They don't want to work. They just want people to give them things. Can I get an amen? Come on now. We know that's true. Um, and uh, so, but he was the first missionary that I met that says, we want to be self-sufficient. And I said, well, do you have a plan? He said, yeah, we want to own a buffalo farm. And I said, Cape, like Cape buffaloes, you know? He said, yes, which... I've come to learn we have some communication issues. They weren't Cape, they weren't Cape buffaloes. They're water buffaloes. You can Google them. And I was like, well, why do you want to have a buffalo farm? He's like, well, their milk is a, is a very uh, in-demand commodity, and you can milk the water buffaloes and sell their milk just like we do cow's milk here. And I said, well, can you make money? And he's like, oh, you can make a lot of money. So we, we bought him eight years ago. We bought him 25 buffalo. And anyway, today they have 300 buffalo. And we've bought, we've bought them a farm. I mean, you know, actually we're, we have about 100000 left to pay on it this year. And so once the farm is paid for, he's having to rent it, that the buffalo, I mean, this is how much milk they sell. They'll make 6000 American dollars a month. Isn't that amazing? And now you think about it, you have 300 kids that he's paying for education. You have all these churches. So that's a good start. And we went there. When I went there this year, I went with Pastor Todd from Lafayette and, and Kelsey. Kelsey, raise your hand. There's a man of God right there if you want someone to pray for you or talk with you. He's, 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 a, he's a radical Christian, amen? He's right. Isn't it funny when you read the Bible, like what we call radical today, back in the Bible is just normal. Come on now. Come on. And uh, perhaps we've become too dignified in church. I mean, when we have people that are scared to come up for prayer because they don't want anyone to know, Man, listen, you want God to do something in your life. You've got to take some steps. We've got to get out there. We've got to get out there a little bit. So Kelsey has been working with people in Indonesia doing fish farms. And so we're working with them now because, see, he has all these teenage boys to help him. And we're also going to help them over the next few months uh, to start a fish farm on their property, to sell the fish. And, you know, just all these different ways that they can uh, take care of themselves and, and do, some, do some different things. And uh, so anyway, I just, I just came back, just came back from, from 12 days there in Nepal. We had four pastors conferences. Uh, there was supposed to be 600 pastors and leaders there. And we ended up training about 950. And what happened was, the, the, yeah, amen. So, you know, when, when I go over there, I... I Rest assured, if you hear that I'm in India and Nepal, it is not a vacation, okay? It is not a vacation. I mean, it's, I don't know how many hundreds of miles we, we drove in Nepal. We drove all over. He has strategic places, four places for his pastors to come do the conferences. And this is how we ended up with 350 more pastors and leaders than we were supposed to have. The first, we did two-day conferences at each place. The first night, all the church pastors would call all their friends. And tell them, this is so powerful, you have to come. So the next day, you know, there's literally 50, 75, 100 more people. And uh, anyway, it was, it was just awesome. Would you like to see some pictures? Let's see some pictures. All right, let's show some pictures. The, uh, the, the first conference, um, this pa a, guy, a pastor named Pastor Money Rum. And um, he, he, this, is, this is church, they just finished it. We, we dedicated the church to them for the conference. 
And it was actually the smallest of the conference, about 150 people there. But let me tell you, this, this is, this is uh, how the Lord's working over there. Pastor Money Room, Pastor Joe said, you know how I met him? I was going, leaving a city, and I saw a teenage boy laying out on the sidewalk, just stoned out of his mind on drugs. So he went and sat down beside him, and he said, and uh, the kid looked up and said, what, what do you want? He's like, well, I'm just wanting to check with you to see if you're okay. He's like, well, I'm not okay. I'm, you know, I'm addicted to drugs and so forth. And he says, why don't you stop? He says, I can't because all the friend, my friends and my influences here, I'll just go back doing it again. And so Joe said, do you want to come live with me? And he said, yes. Yeah. So he took him back to Bira in India where their headquarters, where their headquarters are, uh, you know, got him off drugs, led him to the Lord, raised him for a number of years. Now he's 32, and he, he's been pastoring this church. Uh, he went there. When they started church, they send a pastor into a village where there's no Christians. And Pastor Jose pays the pastor $150 or $200 a month just so he can live. By the end of one year, the church is, is really pretty much self-sufficient. So he started this church, and over the last six years, something like that, four to six years, all of his people were giving money, 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 and they, then they built a church out of the funds they had raised. There are, he has 400 people in his church. And uh, so anyway, I think there's some more pictures. We can, we can show those. So, yeah, hey, let me get some help. Jesse, Kevin, come up here real quick. So at all the conferences they made, they made these banners and uh, hold this up for me, guys. And they, they were so, so, proud of their, so proud of these banners, so proud to be a part of Family Life Church and Ministries. And uh, we're driving all over Nepal, and he's like, hey, there, there's another Family Life Church. That's yours. And I said, well, I think it's God's, right? He's like, well, yeah, but you're the, I'm the international leader of Family Life, just, just so you know. You know. And... Uh, I said, well, Pastor Joseph, what am I going to do with the church in Nepal? I don't even speak the language. He's like, nonetheless, it belongs to family life, so we give God all the glory. But they made these, and they're just so proud. They're so proud to, thank you, guys. I appreciate that. Y'all can just step up there. Uh, they're just so proud to be, to be partnered with us. Just, it's such an honor. And, uh, I, of course, I'm, you know, I'm kind of, uh, you know, embarrassed or whatever you want to say because they're so, so thankful. So, is there any more pictures? Let's do a couple more. Okay, this, yeah, so this is, this is a conference at the end, and uh, I don't know, there's probably 150 to 170 people there. And, oh, yeah, just so you know, so uh, I am the Grand Poobah of Nepal. <laughs> you ever watch the Flintstones? And so if any of you wants one of those hats, I have one for you. Everywhere we go, they put a wreath of flowers on us and put that on us. And, and um, okay, hold on, go back just a minute there. Uh, so anyway... We were, we're, you know, it's just, they, they, that's the way they honor you. So let me, let me tell you a, a, a story. So we're, and I forgot to get this, I just got in Friday, so I'm still a little bit jet lagged, and I, I put some pictures together, but there are so many. So we're doing the conference, and at the end of the conference, they bring these two girls in, I don't know, they're 14 and 15, 13, 14, something like that, and they were in their house next door, and they heard us. And they came over and asked if they could meet Jesus because their lives are so bad and they have no hope. So we led these, led these girls to the Lord. Then we found out that their father was a drunk and, and just a vile man. 
and he poured oil on his wife and burned her, killed her. So he got six months in prison. And they set, they set him free. So he comes home and he molests his daughter. Can you believe that? And so I mean, that, that made me mad. That made me mad. So I said, we can pray. So Joe is trying to get custody of these girls. And uh, he's like, man, it may, take, it may take a month. You know that we prayed? I'm not going to tell you what all I prayed. You can just use your imagination. But, but you, you do know that we have the power to stop evil. Come on now. Come on. We got to get a little bit more aggressive in the church today. We got to quit playing games. You know, I'm saying this, letting this guy come home and abuse his daughters. That's not happening anymore, you know. And so anyway, we got a call two days later. In two days, Pastor Joe says, cuss these daughters. He took them to his home, so now they're safe and secure. During this first conference, uh, you know, I've seen some incredible things. I've seen God do some incredible things. I, I've seen people get out of, out of wheelchairs. I've seen cancer healed. I've seen, I've personally prayed for people and seen leprosy dry up, all kind of things. But probably the most creative miracle that I've, that I've ever been a part of. So there was a lady there, and she had been blind from birth. And her eyelids, like she had never opened her eyes. It's almost like her eyelids, I don't know, they were super glued shut or they, they just wouldn't open. So, you know, there were less people at conference, so we, we had a lot of time to pray for her. And so we started praying for her, and the first thing she did was open her eyes. And so when she opened her eyes, I looked at her eyes, and I'm like, man, the next problem is, she has no pupils. It's all white. She has no pupils. And so I didn't know. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get her to turn her eyes because I'm trying to see, or are her eyes crossed or does she not have any pupils? I, I don't think she had any pupils. And so we started praying for that. And, and was, brown started appearing in her eyes. And she says, I can see shadows. I can see shadows. And you could hold your hand up and she could, she could find your hand. You know, and uh, so we, we, we were believing for more. I wanted to have 2020, and uh, so we were praying, praying for that. See, see, that's another thing. We got to stop thinking that God does a half miracle. Come on, we got to keep pursuing, and um, and so anyway, uh, so we, we kept we kept praying and doing things like that, and so that was about all that happened that night. But uh, we did we just declared that you know every day is going to get better. Two days later, we're driving to the next conference. And Pastor Joe gets a call and says that every morning her eyesight has been better and better to the point where she's not having to have people lead her around. She's going on her own. Come on now. Let's give God a hand. That's awesome. And so, you know, I started really praying about this because it really bothered me that I go to different countries and we're seeing all these miraculous miracles. And we're not seeing them in America. Not like that. We're not. And, of course, I know part of the reason is we're not teaching our people to have faith. Part of it is, you know, there's a lot of services that you go to and they don't pray for anybody. How many know that if you, if you don't ask, you're not going to receive? And I just started praying. I'm like, Lord, come on. You're, you're the same yesterday, today, forever. What, you're not a respecter of persons. What you do for them, you'll do for us. And, and we've been having some incredible miracles. But, listen, I, I sincerely believe that... Some people are only going to come to Jesus if they see a demonstration of his power. You know, here's what I know. 
you know, I've known a lot of people that claim to be atheists, but you know what? When they're sick, when they have cancer, when they're on their deathbed, very few of them declare that they're atheists anymore because our heart longs for spiritual, for spiritual nature. So we have to start believing like that. And I, I just encourage you. And I'm not encouraging you to be weird. And I'm not encouraging you to be offensive. But we have to, we're out there in the community. Every day we go through, we see hurting people. How many times have we asked them if we can pray for them? How many times have someone come to us and said their marriage is in trouble? How many times have we said, well, can I pray that God would restore your marriage? I mean, I'll, I'll tell you a story. This was probably two or three years ago. But um, so what happened is we went, to, we went to a movie. There was some people from the church, probably about 20 of us, my family, all my kids. We went to a movie, and somehow, I don't know how, but some guy found out I was a pastor, and he came up and started talking to me like, we're at the AMC, you know, there's people all around. And he kept telling me how bad he was hurting. Oh, my back hurts, my leg hurts, my this and that and the other. And I don't, I don't know about you, I just got tired of listening to this, you know. And I was like, see, I, I quit saying that I'll pray for somebody because you go on and you forget to pray for them. But I said, can I pray for you? And all the, all the church members that were with me and my boys and my kids, they all split. Yeah, can I just want to pray for someone in a public place? And gosh. And I wasn't weird. I'm like, I just put my hand on his shoulder. Most people didn't even know what I was doing. I'm like, God, would you just touch his back? God, you created him. Can you touch his back? Can you touch his leg? Can you just heal him? And, and, I, and I kid you not, we finished the prayer, and who, this guy kind of started making a scene. Whew, I feel better. And he started walking around the other way. He's like, I feel, I feel better. I feel better. You know, make a scene for Jesus. Well, hey, hey, do you not think that God won't use you to produce miracles and to release the healing of God to people? But if we don't pray for miracles, we're not going to get miracles. And so I, I just want to, you know, encourage you on that. And then we went to our, our second conference, so I believe, so get this, this is amazing. The church where the conference is supposed to be is over this mountain, but we can't go there because the elder has forbidden Pastor Joseph to go there on his life because too many people have turned from Buddhism and, and accepted Jesus. So they set up a tent on the side of a mountain. Isn't that incredible? Show that, I think there's a couple more pictures. And look at that. There, I'm telling you, there are people... 30 and 40 yards behind the tent. They were trying to get them all in there, and they, they just couldn't do it. And so the hunger was, was just amazing. Okay, uh, do we, we, let's play a video, that video. I want to show you the video of the road we had to get to get to that second conference. Kelsey was telling Pastor Jost, he said, Pastor, have you ever driven on this road before? He said, yes. Have you driven in this vehicle on this road before? Yes. Are you sure? I mean, it was, it was, it was. Yeah, it was a little bit difficult when you went to pass people.
So we drove as far as we could. Then we had to walk another 10 or 15 minutes to get to church. I think we have pictures from the next conference. The next conference was actually in a hotel. And uh, that was, you know, it was so nice. It was, it was so nice to have air conditioning, I'm not going to lie. I felt the Lord's power in a special way. But, uh, you know, so hey, let me, this is this guy, uh, Pastor Joseph, a pastor out. And again, very, very poor area. So you see the church is on the bottom, and they're, they're in the process of building the pastor's house on top of the church. Uh, I, I, was, I, was so, I was so humbled. I mean, there's nothing around this building, and the, the building is packed. They got like 300 people there. And uh, so they just built the church a little bit ago. And so this pastor's been pastoring for eight years, for eight years. And his people have no money. They brought rice, wheat, goats, whatever they had. And the pastor just would save them up and sell them. And after eight years, after eight years, they built this building. And they're just so proud of it. They're just so, they're just so incredibly, incredibly proud. Yeah, so that, I think, believe that's the last, that's the last conference. So, yeah, just people. Um, there, of course, Kelsey, Pastor Todd. Myself, Pastor Joseph, and that's Alan. Alan is in the middle there. That's Pastor Joseph. That's Pastor Joseph's son. He's 24. And so we've been, we've, you know, all these places we go, they don't have any medical. And so he will finish his, his uh, doctor's program in about two and a half years. And uh, we've been helping to pay for his education. And uh, he's committed to working for the ministry, and they're going to open up a clinic. Uh, to help people uh, with, with different needs, so that's that's awesome as well. This is his uh, Pastor Joseph's brother-in-law. His name is Shibu, and he kind of is the administrator over the whole ministry. This is Pastor Chundra. He's the pastor of the church I just showed you, where they saved up money for eight years to be able uh, to you know build the building. Any more? Is that it? Yeah. All right. So that's it. So let me let me talk to you just for a minute. It's amazing. There there's forty million people in Nepal, relatively small country that area. There are three hundred thousand Christians. So if you're good at math or anything close to it, you know that that's less than one percent. It's an amazing thing. Uh, of the 300,000 Christians in Nepal, 50,000 of them go to family life churches. Uh, the, the largest ministry there is, is um, Assemblies of God. They've been working there for about 60 years, and they have about 60,000. Pastor Joe's told me within three years, we, we will, we're going to pass the Assemblies of God, which, you know, quite honestly, I don't care. I don't. That just amazes me, but hey, I want all of them to grow. I don't care about that. We just want souls to be saved. We don't care who's the largest, who's the biggest, or anything like that. Um, you know, I, I was talking to Pastor Joseph because they have uh, 198 churches, and he said, Terry, right now, right now, we have 38 pastors who are trained and ready to go start a church. I'm like, why, why aren't you sending them out? He's like, I don't have the money to send them out. Basically, $200 a month. To, to pay for a pastor. So basically 2400 a year 
to start that. So anyway, listen, uh, I have people all the time telling me that they want to give and they, and they want to do something special. Listen, if, if you, you know, if you have extra funds or whatever, I'm just telling you for $2,400, you can start a church in Nepal and they have 100% success ratio. It's funny, in America, 80% of churches that start fail. Over there, I said, Pastor Joe, do all your churches make it? Of course. Of course. But, you know, they're fasting and praying and really, really doing some special things. So as I was traveling around Nepal for the last 12 days, I, it, it's funny, it's, it's actually funny, but when I go overseas, you know, your phone doesn't work or anything. So, uh, you know, you're busy like crazy speaking, traveling, but you just have time to think. I think one of the greatest problems in America is that we're so busy and our minds are so cluttered that we never think. We don't think. We never have a time where there's no volume. Just allow the Holy Spirit come and speak. And do you know, if you go back to creation, it says that the Holy, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God began to speak. And things started lining up in creation. Do you know that the Holy Spirit is in our lives? And he's a creative spirit. And if you spend time with you, he will give you strategies. He will tell you how to do certain things. But we just don't take time to do that. So I was asking the Holy Spirit, you know. And I was just really thinking about, you know, the state of the church in America. And, and, and really to gain a perspective about, you know, where we're at. And more importantly, where we need to be. How many you know that sometimes you're in a bad position, but your current position isn't the problem? That's not the problem. You just, but you have to learn where you need to be and develop a plan to get there. It doesn't matter if you're, you've had bankruptcy. It doesn't matter if you fell to different things. The most important thing is not the problem that you are right now, but are you connected with the Spirit of God to get you where you need to be? That's, that's the most important thing. And so I was thinking about this, and I started thinking about the, the great commandment. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 35 through 40, it says this, it says, one of them, an expert in the Lord, tested him, tested Jesus with this question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And, and Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So basically, Jesus tells them this. The first thing is, you've got to love God. You've got to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's pretty clear. That's pretty clear. But the second thing is this, is that your love for Jesus, Jesus getting in your life, Jesus doing a work in your life, it produces love for other people. So it's the love of Jesus that, that is able to help you to love other people. And, you know, I was, as I was spending time with all these pastors and leaders, I realized how focused they were on the great commandment. You know, uh, they don't have all the distractions we have in America. The poverty that they live in every day is giving them a single-mindedness for the kingdom of God. You know, they, th their lives are very simple. They're focused on survival. Um, you know, some of the places up in the mountain, they don't have running water, and they can't drill a well, and people are sick because uh, the water from the stream is so bad. I mean, in other words... Uh, the mountain, where the water comes to the top of the mountain is pure, but after you go through 12 villages where people are washing their, their clothes and things like that, the water, you know, the water is polluted. I'm like, man, these people, 
And so we're trying to work on getting them filters so that they can get the water out of there without, without you know, contaminating themselves. But I'm thinking, man, these people, you know, basically in many parts of the world, if you can't take care of yourself, no, there's no one to help you. There's no government help. There's no shelters to go to. There's no medical clinics. And because of their desperation and dependence upon God, you know, their whole focus is about God because he's everything they have. And I think one of the, one of the problems, the main problem we have in church today is our focus on the material in the temporary instead of eternity. And what has happened is, and I'm not trying to make anyone feel bad, I'm just, I'm just stating the fact that, you know, because of our comfort level, because of the affluence and the freedoms that we have, I think the devil has lulled us to sleep. And I think what needs to happen is there has to begin to develop a, a spiritual unrest in our spirits, a, a spirit of, you know, I'm so comfortable with myself that I'm not worried about other people. I'm so comfortable with myself, and I keep getting more and more, and it's still not enough. And I still don't have anything left over. But, you know, we've, we're so consumed with schedules and technology and hobbies and jobs, what many people would really consider, would consider luxuries. You know, the one thing that I didn't see the whole time I was in Nepal, I didn't see, I didn't see anyone glued to their phone. As a matter of fact, we, we, we lived out of hotels because we were traveling around and we were staying in hotels. And, and so the three of us were walking in and we're like, the first question we're asking is, hey, what's the Wi-Fi passcode? And they're like, huh? You know, uh, just, just, just not, a, not a thought, you know. And so again, we just have to realize that, the, that there's billions of people that are living without any medical help, without any assistance. I mean, they're chopping firewood to keep themselves warm in the winter. They're living in huts with, with, with you know, with, with mud floors. I, I, just, I think that when we think about that, it really makes us better managers of what we have. Can I get an amen? So let me prove a point. Let me prove a point that I think that the devil has lulled us to sleep. And I'm just going to ask you a question, and you can nod yes to me like, oh, yeah, I do that. But think about it. Just think about it in your, in your own life. I was thinking about this. When was the last time that you were concerned, really burdened, with reaching the people in your life that don't know Jesus. I mean, I mean think, when, when's the last time that, you know, as Nehemiah said when he heard about the condition of people in Jerusalem, that the Lord just struck him and he wept and mourned and fasted for many days seeking what he could do. When's the last time you actually had a burden for the people at your job, in your family, in your neighborhood, in our community that don't, that don't, that don't know Jesus? When was the last time you felt concerned or burdened or problem um, about missing, missing so much church or your lack of serving in church, your lack of helping uh, the church reach more people. When was the last time you sincerely prayed for the church for, uh, to reach more people? And again, I, I'm not trying to make you feel bad, but, uh, but, but quite honestly, um, I feel that every one of us can be guilty of getting so much into our own stuff that there's people all around us who are hurting. There's people all around us who would love to have hope, would love to have someone pray with them, would love to have someone just befriend them, but we just walk by them because we're so consumed in our, in our mess. 
I was thinking about a biblical truth. In the Bible, God always uses people to accomplish his purposes. I mean, think about it. Go all throughout the Bible. God called Moses to go deliver the children of Israel. God called Noah to build an ark. God called Esther to save the Jewish people. I mean, think about that. Anytime God wants to do something, he always calls a person or a group of people to do it. And I was thinking about this. You know, how many things in our country don't get done because people just aren't listening? People just aren't, you know, they're not concerned about hearing, uh, you know, what, what, what God has for them. And, and so here's the difficulty in our lives, church. It's the same for me. It's the same for you. Can we live in a country that has affluence? Can we live in a country that has freedom? Can we live with all the abundance around us and yet still keep our passion for the Lord the same? That's, 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 that's the problem. You say, well, Terry, we have poor people too. Not like in other places. Not like in other places. You know, not the poverty that you see in many countries in the, in the world. You know, can, can I have a sense of desperation for God and for people even though I don't have a lot of pressure in my, on my life? And I think, I think that's, that's the key. That's the thing we have to address is when we get knocked down and have a crisis in our life, it's easy to have desperation and cry out for God. Can we have that same resolve when things are going good? Can we have the same resolve for the kingdom of God and building the kingdom of God before things go bad? You know, can, can we do that? And I think that's difficult. So I want to give you five things real quickly. They're in your notes. How do you know if you're living the great commandment in your daily life? Number one, you focus on the eternal realm more than the material realm. I mean, if you go through every week and you have no concern about souls, about people, about what God's doing around the world, about what God is doing in you, if all of your focus is on making money, you know, progressing your career, on just your family, I mean, we can become so consumed with material things and temporary things that we don't focus on material, on, on spiritual or eternal things. Second of all, I think if you're living the great commandment, you have a willingness to sacrifice personal rights for the good of God's kingdom and to help people. You know, I look at Pastor Jost, and he told me while we were there, he said, Pastor, I just want you to know my bank account's empty. I said, I know. Because as soon as money goes into it, it goes out. It was very funny. When he was here, he was very particular. He wanted a certain coat. So I drove him to five stores to find the coat that he wanted. And uh, he's like, just, this is it, Pastor. Does it look good? I say, yeah, it looks fine. Are you happy? Yes, Pastor. You're sure you're happy? So I get there, and I'm like, hey, where's your coat? I gave it to a pastor up in the mountains who didn't have a coat. And so what, what I'm saying is, um, you know, think about this. If you want to give more to the kingdom of God, you have to sacrifice some of the things you may spend on your own. If you want to dedicate time to the kingdom of God, that means there are some things that you won't be able to do in order to do that. So we're willing to sacrifice for the good of the kingdom. Number three, that you're more excited about spiritual things than you are about temporary things. That you're more excited when people get saved, when people get healed, you're more excited about what God's doing in life than you are just about temporary things. I think the fourth thing is this. You pray more 
for other people than yourself. You pray more for other people. See, spiritually immature people, all they do is pray for themselves, what they need. The mark of a mature Christian is that, man, you, you see the needs of people around you. You see the need, and you're like, God, have mercy. God, have mercy. God, save them. God, help them. God, heal them. And I think the last thing is this, is that if you're really, if you really want to be honest with your focused on the great commandment, loving God, putting him first, making him a priority, and loving people, then I think most you would consistently dedicate your resources. Our two greatest resources are our time and our money. That's it. Time and money. How you spend your time and how you spend money is what's important to you. It's what's important to me. It's just what's important. I think that you consistently dedicate some of that to ministries that are doing the building the kingdom of God around the world. So I want to close in prayer this morning. I want to, I want to, I want to close with a, by a personal application. On the plane ride home, I was sitting there, and, you know, the first thing I thought was this. It's like, God, I can do better. I can do better. I can do better as a, as a pastor, as a husband, as a father. I can do better. I can do more to reach more people. I can sacrifice more to reach more people. I don't need everything that I have. That's the first thing. But then I was thinking about this because together we do more. The next thing I thought is, man, our church can do better. Our church can do better. You do know this church is only as strong as the commitment level of its people. I mean, you know, when, when, you, when, you, when you have basically the majority of Christians in America go to church one time a month, how are you going to do great things? You know, and so here's what I would ask you. I'm committed to doing better. I'm committed to, to really digging deep. And I ask you, as members of Family Life, if you're not serving, come talk to us and find a place to serve. If you're not giving, man, start being faithful, supporting the church so we can do more. Start praying for the church. But I, but I ask you humbly, the greater level of commitment we have from our people, the more that we can accomplish together. I don't ask that for myself. Personally, I don't care how many people come to this church. I don't get a badge of honor if we have 500 or 1,000. But I know this, the more committed people you have, the more people you have praying and really digging deep, the more we can accomplish for the Lord. Let me tell you this. Those of you that give to family life, if you, if you give here, when you get to heaven, there are going to be thousands of people from Nepal and India that are going to thank you, that are your reward, because they would not have found Jesus without a messenger. I believe within five years, the Christians in Nepal, I believe Joseph's ministry is going to reach another 50,000 people. I think they're going to replicate themselves. And again, that's just, that's just because the hunger level that's driving, that's driving things. I'm sorry I went a little bit over. Is that okay if we go over today? We're going to go over today. That's whatever. So I want to... I want to do two. I want to do two things. First of all, I want to. I want to ask. And I'm not going to have you bow your head or close your eyes. We need to get better than that. If you say, you know, Terry, I, I think that I'm in a backslidden state as a Christian. I, I, when you're talking about this stuff, sometimes I go weeks, I go months. I don't think about reaching people for Christ. I don't think about giving or serving in church. My focus has has just been off kilter, and I just want to recommit my life to Jesus. I want it to be about him. 
I want it to be about him. I want, I want to have his heart for the lost. As Jesus went through, he had compassion for people. I want to have the compassion of Jesus. And if you just want to recommit your life to Jesus, I just believe the anointing is there to do this today. Would you just stand where you're at? And we're going to ask God just to touch our hearts and our lives. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God, we cry out to you today, Lord. God, we cry out to you. Let's, would you raise your hands with me? God, we cry out to you today. And Lord, we ask for your forgiveness. We ask for your forgiveness right now. God, forgive us. Lord, forgive us for having a wrong focus. Forgive us for having wrong priorities. Lord God, just forgive us. God, forgive us. And we want to do great things for you. So as a church, we want to do great things for you. We want to do greater things for you. As individuals, we want to do great things for you. So God, we know that there is no prize without a sacrifice. God, give us a heart that connects with you in Jesus' name. God, give us a heart that connects with you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Now let me ask you this question. Maybe there's some of you here today, and maybe there's some here that you've never given your life to Jesus at all. You've never made him the Lord and Savior of your life, and you want to do that, and we, that's very important, actually the most important. If you're here this morning, you've never given your life to Jesus, and you want to do that, would you just, raise, just wave your hand at me so I know where you're at? I want to close with one thing. I want to close with one thing. I just, I believe. I believe there's going to be an anointing in this church for miracles. I just, I believe that. I, I feel it. I, I feel it in my spirit. And I want to close this morning. If you're here this morning and you need a miracle in your life, maybe you have cancer, maybe you have diabetes, maybe you have a relationship that's failing, I just want, we want to anoint you with oil and we want to pray the prayer of faith over you. So the worship team is going to do one more one more song, and if you need a miracle in your life, if you want God to touch your life, would you just come out of here, just, just walk up here this morning, and we're going to take just a quick couple minutes to pray for you this morning. If you need a miracle in your life this morning, go ahead, guys. I'm not enough unless you come. Right. 